Oh, yeah. And if you let your boy BC digress for a second, I got something new to tell you about. How about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe, right? How about a vehicle equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family? And if you're looking for features, the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe has you covered, like available H-Trek all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some of that mud. And with standard third-row seating, you can make sure the whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads make sure no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Make sure you can worry less about the rugged terrain to come. Want to learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe? Head on over to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. It's a 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It is Monday, May 18th, 2020, and it is time, donks, for Morning Combat. Hi there. My name is Luke Thomas. I am one half of your hosting duo. I am joined by the gentleman on the other side of your screen. He is my friend and yours. You know him from CBS Sports, among many other places as well. Uh, it's the one and only Brian Campbell. Hi, Brian. Top of the morning to you. Hello, Luke. I'm hearing you remix style there. Hopefully the people are able to hear your voice effectively. I'm sure Jay can jump on that. But as you already know, Luke, we be the outcast down for the settle. Don't play rock. Don't play the pebble. What we do bring you, though, is the most innovative. It is me? Jay? <laughs> yeah, Jay, you you. Jay, you, you, can't, you finish, can't interrupt finish, the show 10 finish, seconds in, Finish your weird intro. Yeah, there's, there's dead air. Finish your, finish your thing. All right, why don't, you, why don't you zoom in on Luke? I'll fix my audio. All right, here, Luke. <laughs> okay. So Red Solo Cups for everybody. All right, uh, we'll get back to BC here in just a second, but a couple of housekeeping notes, as we always need to do. First thing. Hey, you want to try Showtime? And why wouldn't you? You can do that. You can go to Showtime.com right now, and you can have a 30-day free trial. Very easy to do. Just go to Showtime.com and just say, hey, I'm going to give it a try for 30 days. If I like it, I'm going to keep it. If I don't, I'm going to bounce. Completely up to you. So always remember that. Secondly, give this video a thumbs up. Subscribe to the channel. I think we did four different versions of the show just last week, and we're trying to keep this train on the tracks, folks. So we need your participation to do that. The easiest way to give back, of course, you can tell people about it. Word of mouth always helps. But at the same time, hit that subscribe button. And if you're really down for it, if you're down for the cause, you can hit that notification bell as well. All right. Is our friend Brian Campbell back and ready for his 90s references? Hi, Brian. You ready this time? I don't know, Luke. Can you hear me now? Yeah, you you sound just fine. Weren't you making fun of me for my technological snafus pre-show? Karma, my friend. Castigo Divino. I'm barely hearing you here. This is great. It's live. It's live uh, TV. It's TV of the future here on the internet. I don't know if you can hear me, Luke, but I'm going to keep going anyway. Yes, three needles indeed. But look, this is the most innovative show in the business, Luke. The only one that tells it like it is, brings it. That's Morning Combat. We're back. Hopefully, Luke, I don't know if you just referenced it because I couldn't hear you, but uh, people caught us on Friday night, right? Little uh, Morning Combat Classics. They did. Little Mayweather, yes. Maidana one, Mayweather McGregor, evergreen content. Go back, crack a cold one, relive that with us. A lot of I think the deeper you go in that show, Luke, 
the more likely you are to lose your job and uh, we are to gain more fans. So it's a great, you know, it's a great business plan. All right. Well, with that in mind, let's jump right into the very first of these five parts of our rundown. Let's go right now to part one, if we can. So UFC Florida is in the books. Alistair Overeem gets a win. He defeats Walt Harris via second round TKO. Now here's the question, BC. I'm going to try and throw it to you first. Maybe that's a mistake, but we'll see how the audio goes. Let me ask you this, BC. At 40 years of age, which he turned uh, on Sunday, what is still realistically possible for the Dutch heavyweight? He says he wants to keep competing because he wants a UFC title, but I'm, I'm seeing that BC cannot hear me. All right. Well, then I'll answer this one while we can see if BC can fix this. So here's the question for everyone watching. What is realistically possible for the Dutch heavyweight at 40 years of age? I will go first on this one. Hopefully we can repair the problems on the other side of the, uh, the East Coast here. Uh, the answer is, first things first, I think you have to take a step back on what Overeem accomplished here. He thread the most impossible needle on Saturday night, which is to say the following. He didn't exactly have the world rooting in an angry way against him, but everybody was hoping for a fairy tale ending for Walt Harris. And listen, that's a hard place to be in because I think a part of him probably also wanted only nice things to happen to Walt Harris. It just so happened that he was his opponent for that evening and, of course, prior to that UFC DC. But he was respectful to Walt Harris the entire time. And when the fight was over, the first thing he did was put a literal arm around him. He has only maintained a high degree of professionalism throughout this entire thing. We were in a scrum with this guy at UFC DC when he was asked about Walt Harris because he had fallen through it. And Jairzinho Rosenstruck was the replacement and he only had the right answers every single time so that was an impossible feat to pull off there second of all this was a really important win for him he was nearly uh he should have beaten Rosenstruck but of course things collapsed for him at the last second if he had had another loss here this would have been the first time that he would have had a loss in I think ever but certainly recent memory where it would have been somebody outside the top five really um, or it, it, he's had losses from guys in the top 10, but somebody who had never even been in the top five, somebody who had never even reached into that upper echelon. That was a new space for him uh, if he had lost, which is to say Walt Harris is not a bad fighter, but this was the fight that he was looking for to get that signature win, to get that elevation moment. He just hadn't done it yet. And so you wouldn't have said that Overeem had lost to a bad fighter, but you would have said that we are now entering a different set of territory for him. So... What is possible? He still wants that title. I will not rule that out for him. I don't know how likely that is because when he gets to the really upper echelon of that division against your Francis's, your Stipe's, and some other ones, he seems to run into some problems. But it should be noted for a guy who's been fighting literally since the 90s, you can look at all the changes inside MMA. They are reflected through his career. And for him to still be this competitive, this late, through this many versions of a reinvention is just utterly remarkable. So I don't know if a title is likely, but he has absolutely earned a spot at being certainly another high-level opponent in a major fight. But I'm not going to downgrade his chances. I'm not going to sit here and say it's not possible. He is such a remarkable chameleon-like talent. And to be able to be this crafty, this late, and this devastating, and to not lay down the way he did when he had basically every incentive to, or certainly outside pressure, is pretty remarkable. Now let's go to BC here, see if he can hear us. BC, can you hear us? (laughs) 
Brian, that's you, bud. Uh, hello, I'm Brian Campbell. Welcome to Morning Combat. Yes, I will leave the Zoom call and rejoin. Great. Take it away on Alistair Overeem. All right. Uh, I saw this fight on Saturday. Look, third card, eight nights. This heavyweight tilt certainly had that emotional potential. You almost wanted to see Walt Harris get that type of big win, giving everything he went through. And I really feel like this is going to go down as one of those more heartbreaking, gut-wrenching type losses because Harris was right there. He showed you everything in those first few minutes against a very game Overeem that announced his potential potential as a legit heavyweight title contender in the UFC. The size, the, the explosiveness, 6'5", big ticket coming at you. He hurts over him. He bloodies him. He's literally one clean strike or one flurry seemingly from getting Dan Marigliotta to jump in and stop that fight. I almost feel like it would have been a quick trigger national, uh, natural emotional response from Marigliotta just to be like, yep, you got him. Game over. Big victory. Big win for people in the Harris household. Unfortunately, man, the momentum can turn so damn quickly in this sport. And we saw one of the most uh, forgettable sort of big strike attempts that didn't come up uh, positive for Harris when he tried that front kick, missed badly, got off balance, got essentially pushed to the ground. And then this is where Overeem at 39 still has it. This is where it becomes dangerous to call somebody celebrity gatekeeper because he used all the veteran tricks that are in his tool bag to be able to lean on Harris, put on that gas tank. And you, you have to believe the, the emotions are so high for Walt in that situation that he's probably dealing with the stress of, Oh crap. I just made this monster mistake when the fight was just about over. And all of that seemed to conspire to just badly drain his gas tank over him, did everything he could have and should have. And I hate to say this, but that missed strike from Walt Harris at the exact time that he did it, it cost him the fight on the same level as the the Weidman spinny shit uh, against Rockhold in the middleweight title bout that lost him. The Sonnen spinny shit against Andy Silva in the rematch, right? The uh, Stefan Bonner spinny crap that cost him the Anderson Silva fight, even though he was uh, juiced up, well tanned too. Nice abs for Stefan Bonner in that fight. Um, Harris had the chance, even beyond his emotional story, to, to really make that leap. But he, he wasn't there because Overeem did exactly what he had to do. Uh, could Overeem get back into the title picture again? I mean, look, it's heavyweight. You age gracefully. It's, it's pretty incredible the career Overeem has had that he's still at this level. I'd say it's unlikely he circles back to a second UFC title shot. But we know what heavyweight is, right? It, it's a little bit hot right now. There's three, four, five guys we want to see at the title level. But... It, that can dissipate quick and you end up with the same retreads and uh, Overeem could retread his way back in there. And that's not necessarily an insult. It's a big win for him. He, it, it, you know, to be that damaged early and to be able to keep his head and uh, also keep his chin. You know, here's another guy after Andre Arlovsky, you know, a couple days before who were always willing to count out as chinny and, and they find a way to, to fight through it. Luke, are you back? Are you back yeah, in my I, life right now? I, I back. I back BC. Can you hear me? Trust me. I, I can hear you. Oh, very good. Uh, BC, I got to tell you, were you not impressed in the way that I was with Alistair Overeem, which was he had this impossible sort of task, which was, you know, spoil the fairy tale ending and somehow managed to do it in a way where two things occurred. One, he didn't piss off anybody. He was a pro's pro and a, a true martial artist, I will even say, throughout the course of the entire process. Then 
he showed a level of determination to get this win. Like he knew if he did not get this, if he finally entered into a territory where he was losing to a guy who had never himself entered the top five or had really ever been close to title contention, that at 40 years of age, which he turned on Sunday, he would be entering a, a level of defeat to someone that he never had before. He showed a level of resiliency and urgency that I'd never seen before. So to me, BC, it's like, can he win a UFC title? I don't know, man. I mean, he's got st- stiff competition at the top that he's already lost to. On the other hand, he's so talented and so crafty, you just can't count this guy out. Yeah, he sort of uh, put himself in the same spot that I think Frank Mir was entering the JDS title shot, that maybe JDS was entering the Stipe rematch, where it's like, yeah, the skills are still there, even though we're in the second half of his career, to be able to pull off the type of wins that gets you into those title fights. But will he ever win one? Again, unlikely, but you love anyone who can turn back narratives. Oh, he's chinny, he's too old, all that. He not only did that, but something you just sort of teased to, the civility and human side of him helping Walt Harris up afterwards. He, you know, he he pulls off one of the more villainous victories in a sense, spoiling this great story, spoiling this this, you know, happy ending and all that, and yet still comes off likable. Um not talking about Stipe tapping at all, even though I know Alistair felt it. So it was, it was a good night altogether. A uh, good heavyweight bout that I think, if you remove the emotional element of the story, did teach us where both of them should be in the pecking order of the title picture. So yeah, very quickly, where would you put Walt Harris? To me, I got a lesson from this, which was his offense is as dangerous as advertised. But in terms of managing a fight and the different pieces of chaos that come with the risk there and how you assess all those things and, and when you press the gas and the brake, still a little bit to learn there for me. Yeah, and, and again, Luke, you can only, you don't know how much of that was the emotional picture as a whole and the short notice, you know, the short training camp, the quarantine. You put all of that together, and we're still not sure on a fight-by-fight basis whether certain fighters are going to be as good as we expect, worse. You give him a pause on that, but if we're going to be ultra-critical and remove the emotion, yes, he did not look like the intangibles we're, we're perfectly there to be a legit title contender. But again, it's heavyweight. He's only 36. He's still kind of figuring out who he is. He's going to have time in that regard. Uh, it, w- it was a sobering understanding of where he fits in that heavyweight packing order. All right, so that takes us now to the second of our, two, uh, our points here in the rundown, which is about a different fight. There was lots of complaint complaints, I should say, about the judging. So let's talk about the co-main event. Claudia Gadelia defeating Angela Hill via split decision. I'll go to you first on this one, BC. How did you score it, number one? And number two, do you like... Well, actually, you know what? Let's start there. How did you score it? What do you make of the controversy? The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. 
All right, I scored it two rounds to one for Claudia. Now, look, it comes down mm. to that third round, whoever won that fight. But this exposed this fight, and I think it it was sort of unfair that this fight was grouped with the other close fights. Oh, MMA judges had a horrible night in Jacksonville. We should get them a COVID test, you know, all that crap. No, this is a close fight, but this was more of a larger argument that you see in boxing, the idea of damage versus round-by-round scoring. Look, who won the quote-unquote Max Kellerman's story of the fight. It was Angie Hill. You know, this could have been her fourth victory in a row. She's not a journeyman. This was her leap forward. Why? She landed the bigger damage. She bloodied Claudia up. She dropped her. She showed heart. She showed resiliency. But again, MMA scoring is basic. It's round by round who won. Claudia won two of the three rounds. That's that's what it is at the end of the day. If you thought Angela won, it's not a you know it's not a robbery in either direction. It was a close ass fight. That third round decided it. You're really weighing Hill's consistency in that third round with the fact that Claudia did land for my eyes the bigger punches. Was a little bit more aggressive. Seemed to go after it. But it's one of those things where your eyes tell you one thing, but the scorecard tells you another. We had that debate on here. Bring it on. Yes, I scored Keith Thurman seven rounds to five over Manny Pacquiao last summer. I still kind of believe it. I know the emotional thought in your head was, man, he still got that 40. He dropped Keith. He did all that. But it's a math equation at the end of the day. We don't watch the fight and score on a whole. Who won the fight? Emotionally, Angela Hill. I think Claudia won it, though, which what it is. 10-9 must scoring system. 10-8 if it's a dominant round. I didn't see a 10-8 round in there. I'm sorry. Even with the knockdown, I had it 29-28 there for Claudia. All right. So I had it 29-28 for Hill. And I'd say a couple of things. The the numbers by themselves on this one, on anyone really, never tell the complete picture. But in the first round, Gedalia landing 21 significant strikes, Hill just 10. In round two, 29 for Gedalia, 37 for Angela Hill, 34 for Claudia Gedalia in round three, 43 for Hill. So Hill's output... Um, almost quadrupled, essentially. Actually, more than quadrupled over the course of the fight per the rounds. I'll just say this. I thought it was a pretty... I thought, I, 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 what, I, what I wrote on Twitter at the time was it was a coin flip, which is a, a mix between what I feel it should be and what I think the judges might ultimately come to. I do think that Claudia Gadelia, when she landed, tended to land, her, land the harder shots, which is why I said the numbers by themselves don't prove that, that Hill deserves to be the winner. But I thought she did enough. I thought her volume was more. I thought her. I thought she had essentially forced Gedalia to fight her kind of a fight for the most part, uh, except for some of the takedowns early. And I, I really feel bad for Angela Hill because this was their chance to really ascend through the division. She's had some good wins. She's been on a great win streak, but this would have been for sure the best one on her resume, and she just didn't get a chance to get it. Now, let me issue another caveat here, though, to all of this discussion. I've said it before. It sounds like I'm repeating myself to the worst kind of degree, but it's it, it, you have to do it again, which is I did not think this was the strangest decision of the night, if that's what people mean by the, the various controversies. And then the second part, BC, I, you have to understand, you have to fully absorb how much latitude we offer to judges, even in close contests, to pick either side. We offer extraordinary means by which to pick A or B. 
and the subjectivity of their experience, which is one, what kind of martial arts preferences do they have, whether they're cognizant of it or not, like do they value leg kicks, do they not, what kind of a weight do they give takedowns versus not, yes. their position in the cage, what they hear, what they see, what what really washes over them from an experiential standpoint. If you've never sat cage side, the fights look different than they do on television. All of this is to say, from between their biases, whether they're aware of it or not, from their experience, which we cannot duplicate at home, there's a lot of, and, the, and then the scoring criteria generally, which allows a degree of latitude, all those factors in combination, whenever you have any kind of a close fight, you cannot be mad about the outcome. It's just no. the way that it goes. I feel bad for Angela Hill because I thought she got it done, and I know what this fight represented to her, BC. But at the same time, this is why I think we need to experiment on Fight Island with different kinds of scoring criteria, Brian Campbell, because I just don't believe the one we have is the optimum one. Yeah, look, it, the, the recurring problem presents itself again. We're using a 10-9 must boxing scoring system in a completely different sport with extra caveats like takedowns and kicks and all that. Not to mention five minutes is an long ass time meaning in five minutes there are enough potential for momentum turns or the idea of not just the typical scoring argument of damage versus activity which comes up in boxing all the time right the the jabber against the counter puncher who lands the bigger shots that debate's always there that debate doubles in mma when you're mixing in different types of ways to score action in a fight and not to mention the sitting at home with your beer, not scoring at home, and just scoring with your eyes. Again, yes, the person that lands the more damage seems to be the one that won the fight because we're thinking of it like a schoolyard fight. Well, that guy bloodied that guy's eye. He definitely won. Or when the teacher broke it up, that guy was the one on top. Again, it's it's a math equation. It's a fight that's scored by judges on a point system. It's always going to be flawed compared to how you put emotions into it. I want to say one thing because Jay is trying to get us the hell off of here. But I got to shout out Jay. Luke, can we remove the fourth wall and say this show almost went off the damn rails about 15 minutes ago? Your boy BC was like, end the show. It's over. It's not working. Our peeps threw it back together, Luke. I'm glad I can hear you now. I can see you. Let's move forward. Final point on Claudia. Not a good win for her. Not only was it disputed, um, that's not the, the physical shape that we've come to know Claudia Gadella to come into quarantine all that obviously takes into presence but this was her opportunity after so much frustration for seeing the last two fights fall apart at the last minute to showcase that mark henry new striking system to offset her already strong wrestling base she did not show it in the end luke she gutted out a close win but that didn't show you this is a reformed changed fighter who's added new wrinkles to her game yeah if anything it just reminded you of the development and growth that angela hill has made not so much what Gedalia has added new to her game. Now that takes us to the third segment here, BC, which is about a different fight that also had some controversy. Dan Ige defeats Edson Barboza. Now this one was highly disputed, although I guess even that would not be the most disputed one. It was supposed to be Edson Barboza's featherweight debut. He also loses to Ige via split decision. One more time, BC, I'll let you have the first crack at this one. What did you make of the decision? We'll talk about what it means for both competitors here in a second. But the decision, how it was weighed, the fight itself, what do you think? Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. 
Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Uh, the judges got it right again. Close-ass fight. Two rounds to one for Ige. Look, Barboza showed you in round one exactly who he is, which means he's a dominant striker who took the gamble of moving down in weight and was clearly the bigger man and landed the most telling blow of that first round. Now, I think the most important strike, though, of that first round was Ige getting up and landing the flying knee and letting Barbosa know this is not going to be a walkthrough. But from there, Luke, I gave Ige the next two rounds. And I think, again, disputed decision, yes. It comes down to that third round. It was a fairly even round. I just saw Ige as the guy who went after it. And that's the key in the end. The activity, the intention, the aggression. He really came out of his shell here because, yeah, he had a five-fight win streak coming in. But none of those were against the class of Barbosa, the potential danger of Barbosa. He showed you the heart, the IQ, the poise, everything you need to see. Yes, that's a clean but close win for Dan Ige. If you had it for Barbosa, it doesn't mean you don't know how to score. But again, can we stop with the robbery here? Uh, from this fight all the way down even to Song Yadong. These are close fights, Luke. It's what you preferred in the end. Yeah, so I had this one. I was on the opposite side of you. I thought that I was glad to see Dan win in the sense that I know he's a nice guy and has worked really hard. I had thought that Edson had done enough in the end to merit it. But I got to tell you, when the fight was over, and we can talk about what it means for Featherweight here in just a second, my big takeaway from this one was I did not think that... I mean, first of all, Edson looked huge at 145, and I thought Dan continues to get better incrementally, fight over fight over fight over fight. He really is a, a, a case study in what it means to improve in real time. But for... Barboza, here's what I learned about Barboza in this one. He's trying to refresh things at 145. Paul Felder's like, the dude was eating pastas and baked potatoes like it was nothing at 155. He can make it easier than you might think. Okay, fine. He can make it easier than we think. It's not that much of a drain. It's not like Aldo going to 135, which seemed damn near impossible, you know, if you had watched the Mark Hominick fight. On the other hand, I don't think every fighter can do what Dan Ige did, which is to say... You know, get in his face, slug it out with him, take some big shots, uh, show resiliency, push back the whole nine yards. I don't think every fighter can do that in that division. But I'll say this, the ones that can, all are going to. The blueprint for how to beat Edson is known at this point. And I don't, again, let me be clear about this. It's not that, oh, that's the blueprint. Everybody could just go look at it and then go execute it. I don't think that's true. But I think that if Dan Ige, who was a surging talent in that division, can at least get as close as he did, and maybe for some people cross the finish line, there's going to be most folks above him that are probably going to be able to execute that on some kind of a reasonable level. Which is to say, you might be getting some fresh matchups, and he might get some big wins down there. But this idea of crowding his space, of getting inside boxing range, of pushing him backwards, of never letting him get rest, they're all going to follow this now, so you're running from the problems at 155, and there's probably some you know, fresh territory at 145, but probably not like he hopes there would be, BC. And for that reason, I don't know how much I like this 145 move all that much. I don't like it at all, Luke. I'd love to be able to debate you on the opposite side, but Barbosa does not belong at this weight class. It took on, it sucked on his gas tank way too much. You saw that. Yeah, he did gut it out to make that third round competitive where it was essentially kind of a flip him round. But yet at the same time, I felt like you saw 
corners of, of being diminished in terms of you're waiting for that natural explosion to come, but it's not there because it's too much of a sacrifice on his body against the very elite. Barbosa has a great chin and a great will, right? We saw him. I mean, how the hell did he go the distance against Habib? It was almost criminal. The abuse he took. Um, he's going to take a lot of abuse, I think, at featherweight. The only thing is, like, the strikes won't be as heavy. He'll be able to endure them, but it's all going to add up over time. I think it's just bad luck. Here's a great, you know, a really good fighter who have shown you flashes of greatness in his career. He just happens to be in the deepest and most dangerous division before this fight in UFC history, where a guy that talented could lose four out of his last five against the very, very best. It is what it is. I'm not saying he can't continue at featherweight and think maybe I have a shorter path to a title, but I think we know the, how it's going to end, Luke. I think we know the end of the book here. And it's, it's, you know, it's kind of sad, but it is what it is. Well, again, I wouldn't want to say he can't get nice wins at that weight class. He probably can. I just don't think a reinvention is exactly possible down a weight class. It's just too tough for him at this point. Uh, all right, so we go to our next point now, which is let's wrap up everything, BC. Three UFC shows in eight days in Jacksonville, Florida, as I slide to the right here like a true pro. What kind of grade can we say about overall with what the UFC is doing? There were the events. There were some of the controversies, the safety protocol and everything in between. What would you say? I, I, if I may go first on this one, BC. Go ahead. I mean, I think, I think the events, and I'm pretty sure you'll agree with this, the fights themselves, brutal. Jesus Christ, they were absolutely brutal. And I don't know if they were just brutal because... MMA brutal in a gotten, good way, Luke. Brutal in an inject me sort of way. They well, were awesome, Luke. Well, well, the the Anthony, right well, hold on. The Anthony Smith fight was brutal, not in a good way. I don't think you can really make that case. I mean, that was that was very, very bad. So that's not entirely true. But the point I'm trying to make is, if you were watching as a fan in general, you really got either what you paid for at UFC 249 or what you paid for in terms of your time to just watch it. I would give them a very high grade. I say A, A minus, something like that. Very good. In terms of the safety protocol, they didn't really adhere to a lot of it. I actually read the full document that they that the New York Times had picked up and what they matched it with. Dana White declaring victory that, uh, that no one ever got sick. The reality is probably that's true. Probably that's true. You don't actually know because there's an incubation period for two weeks, and they only test them when they got up there. They never tested them right before or after the fights, so we actually have no idea if, in fact, that is going to be the case. We didn't test them when they got home, after they traveled, which, by the way, is you know, you're in this metal tube of recycled air. Again, these are all risks that everyone's willing to take, but I'll say this. There is a beginning of this movement towards getting back to it. You had NASCAR have an event yesterday where they actually did mind their social distancing cues, but they didn't even test for COVID-19 at this event. So that was really weird. Then you have Major League Baseball proposing a set of safety proposals, which, by the way, BC, I don't know if you read it. I actually went through yesterday and read them all. Boy, they got a much tougher task than the UFC does to try to get that right. They have to have a whole travel restriction set up that, I mean, is just crazy to deal with. So I'll say this. In terms of, I think, what the UFC wanted, they have to consider this either a home run or a stand-up triple, something pretty close. They have not crossed the finish line, I think, in the way that they have. I think COVID safety protocol is going to be an ongoing challenge, which I think you would agree with. But in terms of did Jacksonville provide the UFC with the kickstart that they were looking for, either for the national conversation or to get their fights going or to just give the UFC some shine? Yes. Yes, it did. Oh, yeah. Big time, Luke. Big time. I mean, look, you know, again, fourth wall removed. 
I'm all over my day job at CBS Sports HQ, the live streaming network, giving UFC updates. Saturday night, I'm in the studio, uh, fight by fight, voicing highlights, giving updates. I mean, it's, it was the only game in town. So while Dana was asked afterwards, you know, do you think you gain new fans during this? And he was like, I don't care about that. And whether that's true or not, they did. They had to have because, oh, by the way, the three mm. fight cards kicked a ton of ass, Luke. It were really exciting. They filled a void that we all sort of needed, which was obviously live sports, something that felt important that was a perfect distraction. I think the fighters all sort of rallied together to raise the level of intensity in these fights despite the potential distraction of an empty arena and everything going on with this. And I know what you said. You know, they, they were sort of like, well, no one got sick. You know, we're good. Well, that's kind of what fight promotion is. It's sort of like, nobody died. Let's good. Let's go to the next town. <laughs> I know that sounds brutal and ridiculous, but it's a gamble to put on fight cards and fight in this sport. It's also a gamble to be the first ones to go out there and try to implement a COVID safety protocol and pull it off. Did they have hiccups? Yes. Are there certain... Are they just going to find their own groove in terms of trying to prevent this and hope it doesn't break out? Yes, they probably will. But I think they accomplished a lot, in, meaning that there's no major black eye. Yes, Jacare uh, got got sick and so did his team. And now they figured out, okay, we need to be a little bit safer there. Yes, there was the what I think is a you know legitimate issue with the whole non-disparagement clause when it comes to media. Hopefully that is something that does not continue or, you know, even guys like you and me would have to question uh, whether it's worth it to go cover a fight under those sort of, um, can't, you know, those guidelines, which are just ridiculous. But, but larger picture, this was meant from a pro sports standpoint, in my mind, they were the guinea pig and they were willing to be the guinea pig, probably for financial reasons, but they were willing to Well, it worked. So it's no surprise that as soon as that first and second card of the past eight days went off without too much of a problem, boxing promoters are giving an interview saying, yep, we got, a, we got a comeback date. Pro sports are trying to figure it out. Yes, it all was successful at the end of the day. It felt great to watch these fights. They were great. Um, at some point, Luke, we do have to, you know, clap a little bit and say Dana's craziness, his persistence, um, you know, it fuels our daily job. And at the, at the same time, he, he pulled it off. You know, he was reckless for a, a pretty damn while. It, you know, that soundbite in the Ioli interview of him saying, bring it on, Corona. Like, I'm never going to outlive that ridiculousness, Luke. But as a whole, they did something great, I think, for, for people. And they just happen to have people that are willing to take these crazy chances to do it. If they can keep doing it relatively safe, more power to them. Yeah, I'm looking to see a more refined product and a more refined system. I mean, I'm almost hoping that the... The, the restrictions in Nevada get lifted because I actually think that once they get going at Ape, the Apex Center where they have just total command and control of everything, I actually tend to believe that that will be the best for just quieting all the criticism because there won't be as much criticism to make, quite candidly. The one thing I would like to push back on a little bit is this idea about did they get new fans. Now, we had thought they had done 700,000 buys for UFC 249 because that was what was reported. And to be clear, there was some interest around it. But then when you look at the prelim ratings, they were less than the prelim ratings for UFC 248. I don't know what the ratings were from Wednesday. I guess we'll have to go and see, but I don't recall them being spectacular. Again, for Saturday, we'll see. I saw I saw a lot of people giving a verbal nod who were sports fans to UFC for coming back, uh, but no one I know who didn't watch all of a sudden did. The idea that they built new fans, I mean, marginally, which, again, I, that, I don't think that that really matters in the end. This was this whole experiment was not about let's get new fans. If they had gotten new fans, that would have been a bonus. So that's only the that's the only discrepancy we're really making here. 
I'm just not of the belief. Like, dude, if you don't like Bundesliga or soccer, the fact that it was on is not, and there's nothing else on on a Saturday morning is not going to change your opinion. Either you like fighting or you don't like fighting. I think people may have appreciated UFC more in an abstract way. I just don't buy that there's new fans. Well, while the basis of your argument is right, like I'm not going to go out of my way to find Bundesliga or Korean baseball on some online stream. This is ESPN, though. This is like front and center. I'm flipping through the channels. I'm average Joe sports fan. Oh, what's on the ESPNs tonight? Oh, it's them cage fighters. Honey, honey, grab me, <laughs> grab me the Schaefer. It's the it's the one bear to have when it's time to have some fun. Yeah. No, I, I look. Yeah, it probably happened. Okay, if you went on certain you know websites or watched sports recap shows, it's the only sport that's getting recapped. So all in all, it was a win for them. But Luke, let's not try to act like it wasn't. Let's get the train back on the tracks. Let's fulfill our TV dates because that's yeah. where the money is for yeah. everyone to get paid. Not just the fighters, but us, by the way. Jay, all Jay deep in my cochlea eye trying to get us out of here. Luke, are you going to praise Jay for putting the show back on the track? You're going to act like that didn't happen before. I'm, ha I'm, I'm literally in the middle of having an allergy attack. I'm just trying to gut through the show. Let's go to point five here if we can be seen. I'll go to you first on this one. For point five, it is kind of interesting Francis Ngannou and John Jones, and in particular John Jones, are just chattering with one another. I'll ask you, BC, very flatly, is this the fight to make at heavyweight while we wait for DC and Stipe? Is this the one? Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Uh, are you kidding me? Like, hell yeah. It's like, you know, uh, I don't want to get my open my Christmas presents early because it's only October. Oh, but you mean there's a car in the garage? Yeah, let's open it. Let's let's start it up now. It's like this is the ultimate gift to the sport to not only have John Jones finally fulfill the potential to fulfill his destiny at heavyweight, be a two division champion, you know, inject some incredible must watch elements to that division. Oh, but to do it against essentially MMA's Mike Tyson, who, oh, by the way, happens to be so hot right now with those four straight first-round KOs. I mean, Luke, it is. it would be such a massive present. You, I think, look, it's such a great fight. I'd almost be like, yeah, sure, strip Stipe. F the rules. F anything. Let's make this fight right now. The key is here, Luke, is it for real? Now, they did ask Dana Saturday at the post-fight press conference, and he did the whole, uh, you you watch Dana's mannerisms lately after the fights. Like he's so, it, he's got the old man thing going. He can't really hear the questions. He's always like, wait, wait, what? And then he's just sort of like, oh, those guys don't want, I don't think those guys want that fight. They're just talking. Well, you know, John's manager, Abe Kawa did tweet out. No, John really wants that fight. I don't know if John really wants that fight. John has teased us publicly about fighting Stipe for years, about fighting a lot of people. But if you were able to make that fight, and you know what I feel about interim titles, Throw it. Throw an interim title. Throw a real title. Throw anything. Call the WBC. Have them make up one of those gold LeMay titles that mean nothing that cost a couple million dollars. Do whatever. This is a big time fight that's not just good from a pay-per-view interest, celebrity interest, but like, could John be a legitimate heavyweight? Imagine if John went in there and won. I mean, now you're like, are we going to see John Stipe for the full belt? Are we going to see John DC3 at some point for the full belt? Luke, I want to make one statement that I've made 
back in 2012, uh, 2014, 2016. I'll make it again right now. Even with John's slow, diminishing skills, where his mind is so strong, as you point out, his defense is better than ever, but he's not the same explosive guy. I still think John beats every single heavyweight, wow. including Nganu. And I obviously understand that Nganu is the most dangerous one because of the quick, hard strikes from any angle. I just think some of the diminishing qualities at light heavyweight where John has to work extra hard to beat guys like Dom Reyes and, and Maheda and hold them off, that gap at heavyweight in terms of speed, reaction time, they don't heavyweight doesn't deal with that kind of Mayweather like IQ. Like John Jones is going to go in there, Luke, and he's going to win the title and he's going to beat everybody. And that journey of watching him try to do that is going to be some of the most compelling fights this promotion and sport will see over the next few years. Yeah, I mean, this is a super interesting one. I actually think that there's any number of reasons to do this fight, right? Number one, it'd be huge. That's enough to do what really in modern UFC quite candidly. But beyond that, if you want more than it, put an interim title on it, make it for the number one contender or, you know, a championship unification bout if you could get it done in short order, right? You're waiting for DC and Stipe to get going, and maybe that will take a while. In the meantime, these two guys appear to be, you know, jawing at each other. And 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 and, the, and if Francis wins, he would deserve a title belt anyway so that if he had a unification bout, he could get more money. I, I, that's just my opinion. So, at a bare minimum, it's a number one contender's bout. So that's another good reason to do it because we would all agree if the champ from the lower weight class came up, who has a win over the previous champion in that weight class in DC, surely he'd be reasonably competitive. Both fighters won it. Then on top of it, dude, that fight is very competitive. I know a lot of folks may not want to hear that, but it is really true. I take the improvements that Francis Ngannou has made seriously. They are real. Uh, certainly his coaches believe his cardio has, is dramatically improved. But I don't think folks fundamentally accept the reason why John keeps winning, despite what appears to be some offensive deterioration. As I've indicated on dissected a number of times, he has extraordinarily high fight IQ and has lights out defense. He is hard to hurt. He is hard to hit. He knows how to manage a 25-minute fight over five rounds beautifully. We watched Mayweather on Friday Night BC. What do we say about that? That guy knows every inch of that ring, every way in which to press the gas, press the brakes, lean on the ref, and have the ref not be involved. Whatever he needs, he knows how to command all of it. John Jones is exactly the same kind of way. Dude, he is a very tough matchup for Francis Ngannou. Now, Francis, who is a force of nature, I think it's fair to say is a tough matchup for just about anybody too. But you look at this fight, here's what I would say. I hope that Dominic Reyes gets a chance to get another crack at John Jones or even Jan Blahovich or maybe Glover Teixeira. All those Bubba's down at light heavyweight, they're doing great things, BC, and I know you agree. But there's no reason to not do John Jones versus Francis Ngannou. Belt or no belt, there's no good reason not to and every good reason to do it. There's every reason, BC, if a promoter's making a fight and has to check the boxes, this one checks all of them. And there's, you know, there's no reason to keep John at light heavy. There's no reason to fight Reyes a second time ahead. I said all these guys were, you know, you may end up losing it. It's like, it's, it's like when GSP, whenever we talk about a potential comeback for him, there's a reason he never came back and fought Woodley for the title. There's nothing to add there historically. At this point for John, I feel like the matchups will actually only get easier. And I know there's people that are hearing that going, what are you crazy? These are heavyweights. One punch can finish him. Yes, they can. But can we not act like John has a legendary chin? Luke, a legendary chin. Luke. Massive, massive. He is, legendary. 
Again, John Jones this is, this does is not the thing. get knocked down. He this is the thing. He doesn't get hit. And when he does get hit, he just rolls with it. It's unbelievable, the point you're making. So I agree. To me, like, dude, we're, we have consensus on this one. I don't know when the right time is to make it. That's a different you know, scenario. But the sooner the better, that is the fight to make in the UFC right now. Okay, Does John Connor really and- want it, though, Luke? That's the question. I'm going to interrupt you to say, does John really want it? You two have a history. Tell me the truth. Tell us all the truth. I think he w- it would appear to inspire him if you take his social media messaging seriously is OSP and the relative success he had at times against Ben Rothwell, which is sort of a crude way to assess how he, he would do. But I think also, you know, he was saying, oh, I'll fight Dominic Reyes again if the UFC makes it worth my while. But are they really going to do that? We had Henry Cejudo retire, and now his manager's coming out saying he's not really retired, which I don't understand why you would say that as a bargaining position. But again, you're seeing people try to take different tactics from Cejudo's retirement to John Jones saying this, well, he's got to make it worth my while. I tend to think the UFC might try that a little bit more with the Francis fight, maybe adding a belt on top. He's already got one, right? So he could have the two belts there. That's the kind of bling-bling that gets John Jones a little bit excited. Plus, if you look on his Instagram, dude's been deadlifting again. Heavy, heavy, heavy weights. I think he's I think he's ready to finally make a move because it's do the same thing you've been doing or finally, finally, finally try something new. The, the, the quarantine and the pandemic is a time to just to make some changes, BC. I, I think he absolutely wants it. Yeah, it's up to us as a people to make some changes, right? Change the way we eat, change the way we treat each other. Maybe shout out Jay for saving the show earlier. Maybe actually understand that John Jones did get that booty call in Albuquerque when he got pulled over. We can't avoid the truth. You know what I'm saying, Luke? All right, I'll leave that, uh, that very capable analysis to you. Let's do this, BC. Uh, that's it for our five points. It's time now where we get the readers and the viewers to, or the listeners, I should say, to ask us some questions. It's time for DMs from dogs. Little thing there. Honk. All right, now, BC, I'm going to ask a favor. I am literally having an allergy attack on the air, so I'm yes. going to throw to you the first one of these while I go and get some medicine because I can't breathe and my face is melting. I'll so take over the show, Luke. It's fine. Here we go. Let's throw, let's throw the first one up here if we can. open enough to say that the decision spelled wrong when they got was bs what do you think yeah yeah they will i mean it does happen rarely from time to time where a guy is 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 truly honest it just doesn't um it doesn't ever help you business wise to admit that in the moment because uh you know if it's it's the potential for rematches the potential of of keeping your standing financially and at the end of the day that's what the game is all about so it it really never behooves you but yeah there are some really honest fighters and look for the whole ridiculous referee keith peterson situation i thought dominic cruz was one of these guys was one of these pillars of honesty who would just always sort of tell you like it is well i guess I guess he's still on brand with that, right? Saying that, uh, you know, I did get a text from Dom asking him on Saturday, you know, I saw Keith Peterson in the cage. What did he smell like this time? And bitches and cigarettes was the deal. So um, shout out to that. But no, we will see that. It just doesn't behoove you to do it in the moment. So you don't often see that. Sometimes guys, you know, the, the competitiveness kind of rolls back. They take some space from it. Then they can admit, yeah. Now, would I like Tim Bradley to say, there's no way I should have won that first Pacquiao fight? Yeah, I, th- I, I would like that. But, you know... At some point, you're also a competitor, and you're always going to be a little bit more biased to what you did in a fight. But uh, yeah, here's yeah. here's also the problems that fans have. BC, 
I think you would agree. Years later, you'll talk to these guys off the record at a gym or at a media event, and they'll just tell you they shouldn't have won that one. I've had that yes. happen a number of times. They're like, I don't know how I got away with that one. Or you know, they'll, they'll have a measure of candor that they can't have while they're still actively competing using any bit of leverage they can to get ahead. It does happen. It just doesn't happen in a public way. I'll give you that. All right, let's uh, go on to the next one, Jason. Yeah, Jason. This is from Think It's Broken 22 with Bryce Mitchell getting camo shorts and now Brian Boom asking for tie-dye. Is it time for Reebok or the UFC to let fighters have a bit more character, BC? So that's an interesting question because we're all sort of against, um, in our hearts in a lot of ways, what Reebok, the deal represents, right? It took m potential money out of the everyday fighter's hands and it, you know, sort of institutionalized the look and feel. But at the same time, I think that has added to the sport, having almost this uniform, you know, there's some adaptations in there. You can wear the long sleeves as a female, you know, the, the, there's different ways you can wear the tight ass shorts as we saw uh, Vera over the weekend, or you can, you know, whatever you want. I do kind of like the uniformity of it. You can pick your own color. You can do that. Going in that extra direction of tie-dye and all that, I mean, it comes down corporately what you want your look to be. Luke, do you want to go back outside of the financial situation? Do you want to go back to seeing Condom Depot and Manscaped on the crotch and all that, you know, dynamic fasteners? It does sort of have a triple-A feel when you look at, like, the outfield fence. No, it doesn't. In fact, Manscaped was on the octagon uh, the entire time. So to me, it's like, wow, we're going to tell fighters you can't have a Condom Depot ad, but we're going to put a pube trimmer, as MMA Mania said, on the surface of the octagon. The octagon can be littered with ads, but not the fighters okay. themselves. Well, this separate is a, this the, is, separate this the is, money. This, this is, is the same uh, no, thing no, as no, the interim no, I'm just saying aesthetically, aesthetically, it's okay for the octagon to be littered with ads. It's not aesthetically okay for the fighters. It's a completely incoherent argument. It's just designed for control. There's no real, there's no good reason for Reebok to exist at the way that they do. It's just not, there's not one. You I'm not can sitting make. here and saying the Reebok should be the way it is. I'm certainly not talking about the financial side. I, I, I get it. I'm just saying you're asking, do I like the uniformity? No, I do not like the uniformity. What makes boxing so interesting to me is it's absolute lack of uniformity and somebody That's gets fair. a chance to stand out. And by the way, which the person may not know, I've actually interviewed Bryce Mitchell about this. So Reebok tried to send him a pair of camo shorts once as like a um, as like a prototype, and he said it was so bad. It's funny enough that it looked like tie dye, and he refused to wear it. He said, "There's no chance I'm wearing this." Here's the other part of the problem, BC. If they had a partner, I got some Reebok gear. It fits nice. But in terms of their creative, Reebok is not good at creative. They're not. And this is a sport where you need to let fighters have some creative shine. So I would buy your uniformity argument if they had a, and I'm going to make this up because I don't know that this is true, but let's say Nike was better at it and Nike could really tailor to that guy's needs and this lady's needs. I would be much more willing to hear it. But because Reebok is uniformly bad at it, no pun intended, uh, no. I don't buy it. I guess the, the, the final thought is I just don't want to see things littered. If you're going to say, here's a littered pair of shorts like a NASCAR car, or here's a sort of uniform, streamlined look, I think corporately image, it looks better streamlined. Now, could a Nike work with a Amanda Nunes and create a lion on the side of, yeah, okay, if you're going if you're going to go in that direction and really do it right, yes. I, I, of course, I like flashiness. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm BC here, all right? Come on. We go to All Iver 
uh, Al Liver 0708. And they say, now that the 2020 PFL season is canceled, will it postpone? But what, okay. Should we get excited about the potential for Kayla Harrison to move over to the UFC? Does anybody care? BC, she's a 155-er. I don't know if she can even make 145. UFC is hanging on to a 145-pound division by the skin of its teeth. Yes. And she's still with PFL. So And she gets paid uh really well there, Luke. When you can win yeah. tournaments worth one million dollars, and by the way, you're heavily favored to win these tournaments, and you're being presented by them as sort of the face of the franchise. And oh yeah, by the way, there's no division for I mean, come on, you know. If they could work together and make a crossover super fight, which the UFC doesn't do, by the way, that's why M1 Global was never your co-promoter for uh Randy versus Fedor. Um yeah, sure, I could be interested in some kind of big fight, right? Like Amanda versus, uh, you know, uh, Harrison meet in the middle, but it's not going to happen. Plus, don't they train together other way? anyway? Uh, yeah, they both train at ATT. Mm-hmm. That's right. You'd have to do something else. Like, is a Kayla Harrison versus Felicia Spencer bout, while intriguing, a super fight, you know? No. Or I it'd guess be, it'd have to be Cyborg. That'd have to be Cyborg. That'd be Cyborg. Or, well, that would be a Bellator crossover, which I guess they might do. But the other part is, I know Megan Anderson can't, or she can make 145, obviously, but it's hard on her. You could do Megan Anderson versus Kayla Harrison, but that's just a real, uh, yeah, that'd be interesting because it's a contrast At the end of the day, though, Luke, at the end of the day, is the juice worth the squeeze? I love Kayla Harrison. Is she worth it on a a marketable promotional level to do something like that? No, people still don't really know who she is yet. So now is not the time. This is the problem. The argument that she isn't yet a star is not a reason to assume that she won't be. I actually think she has extraordinary star potential. The problem is, do you have the runway with enough women that her, for her to fight in such a way as to lift her? Ronda came into bantamweight at the time when bantamweight was super hot in terms of the number of noteworthy pieces of talent she could go up against. There's just none of that here in this case. So I love really you calling female talent hot. You never do that on the show, Luke. I'm it's not what I'm doing. It's not what I'm doing. You're just a weirdo. All right, we go now to TVGC MMA, and they ask, what's better, BC? Or what's the better performance? Uh, flu Jordan, which turns out is not really Flu Jordan, or repeated week-long Coke binge Diego Maradona throughout <laughs> the season and then the Napoli winning the league. What do you think? Is Diego well, Maradona's cer- Coke binge? or what? Do you, yeah, what do you certainly think? Maradona without question. Uh, but, you know, John Jones versus Gustafson, the first fight, pretty damn legendary. Joke, You know, jokes aside, booty call aside, uh, pretty damn legendary to gut that out. Um, can we have this conversation now? I know we're going to talk about the Lance Stance later. We do, we do every week. It's been a fun five-week journey. But, Luke... That one, that was no flu game. That was no uh, food poisoning game. Yeah, that was can the hungover underst- game. Can we understand something here? I know hung- hangover was sort of the working theory, right? In in the same working theory of Jordan didn't play NBA in 94 and half of 95 because he was suspended for gambling. I'm not saying I believe that. But I think it's even more than a hangover. Hear me out real quick, okay? Even Ken Burns has criticized this documentary by saying, look, it's too... Not Jordan-centric, but Jordan has too much control of the narrative. Now, I'll counter a Ken Burns or a Director J of MK criticism and say, you got the access. You got Jordan. He doesn't speak like this. He's giving you a 10 out of 10 performance. Prop him up and let him be the whole show, which they, they did for the most part. So that's successful. But you understand Jordan's inner circle. It's no different than Mayweather's inner circle, Muhammad Ali's inner circle. Their entire livelihood, past, present, 
and even future, even though he's retired, is predicated upon protecting him. All of them, the personal assistant, the security guys who we found out that one dude was like a father to him, the great dude with the mullet, that guy, their whole life is keeping the kind of secrets that don't get out. You're telling me that this is a Michael Jordan who we've already established during big playoff series would go to Atlantic City to gamble or before game one of the 98 finals, as we saw in last night's show, he was drinking beer during the day and smoking a cigar to kind of like relax and prepare himself mentally. Now he can pull that off because they showcase so well how incredible his in the moment focus is. Yet you're telling me that guy in, in, you know, boondock Utah is not going to try to find some fun when he's always sequestered to his room. He's going to sit around with his guys and at 10 PM go, Oh yeah, I'm hungry. Can somebody, you know, drive 50 miles to get me a pizza or have five people deliver? No, there was women. There were things. It happened, Luke. Come on, it yeah. it happened. Okay, like, let's yeah, just also, let's, I'll, let's fess I'll, up. It happened. Yeah. First of all, it's like, are you black Jesus as you claim, or are you not? Qu- quit your bitching. You want that title? There's a there's a little bit of responsibility that comes with that title, and that's sucking it up. Get some straws, MJ, and suck it up. Okay, there, big guy. Put on. And when big you say suck pants. it up, do you mean admit it? That's what you're saying, right? Admit it. No, I'm making fun of him because I don't think it was the flu. I absolutely think it was some partying related thing where a mix between, you know, hungover, who, something else, you know, God only knows, but I don't actually buy that it was the flu and the pizza thing probably, I think the pizza thing was like 10% of the story. <laughs> like, I don't think it's well, not true. Why do you think he got hungry, think that hungry for pizza, right? He's probably partying right. somebody. Put, I mean, look, you know, things happen. Look, I didn't expect as we told when we were telling drunken stories the other night that the day before Mayweather and Maidana too, that morning I'd be throwing up all day until a half hour before the fight. Professionally, it's a bad look for me to share that story, but you know what, Luke, it happened. All right. I had eight beers the night before and it happened. Mike, hey. just say it, bro. Hey, I've, ha- I've had, uh, you know, listen, there's, there's been some mornings where I needed some coconut water. You know what I'm saying? BC it's happened. Yeah. All right? This morning looks like one of it. You look disheveled over there, Luke. Get it no. together. All right. Well, no, I didn't drink last night. It's just my kid. It's, my kid is under the impression um, that her, that I am Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and she is Guantanamo Bay and <laughs> she's going to torture me to death from lack of sleep. I don't know why, but she's decided that. I love her to death. I think right, you need go. to protect the sanctity of morning combat by having Abuela take over Sunday nights, okay? I'm not trying to tell you how to run your farm over there, Luke, okay? But come on. I'll do my best. All right, last but not least, MMA News 79. And this is true, by the way. Angela Hill's grandfather, uh, I don't know if you know this. I don't know the story, but I know that I've seen Rogan talk about her grandfather was abducted by aliens. She believes this, this person writes, and that, he, that they are open to the possibility BC, how open are you and I to thinking uh, alien abductions are real? I believe. You know, now look, did you I'm see, a, a truth those... on a lot of topics that would make that have made you unhappy, that have that would make other people unhappy. I don't try to put aliens as like in my top five of of you know things to convince people on. I'm just saying, Luke, as I say often, I've seen enough to know I've seen too much, and um, yeah. You know? Yeah, well, I mean, here's the thing. It's usually, I mean, I don't know about Angela Hill's grandfather, but usually most people who try to, you know, swear up and down about UFOs, I mean, they've got more UFO sightings than they do teeth. Uh, so they're not really credible speakers. But I'll say <laughs> this. When the Navy and the Pentagon released that footage of these quite literally unidentified flying objects, 
that got my attention. I mean, it was always a scientific possibility. I mean, could we really be alone in the universe? That seems terribly unlikely given its vast size. So in that sense, I always sort of took it seriously. But the speakers, you know, I'm hunting for Bigfoot. Oh, are you? Is that what you're hunting for? You're hunting for your, your sister wife. Uh, but <laughs> in this case, uh, I will. I am op- I am very open to the idea. I am very. I just here's. It's the same thing I need every time. BC. I just need evidence. I need evidence. You know, well, there's real a, evidence. When you when you admit that you would believe in something like that, people automatically think that you're saying a flying saucer. You admit that there's a flying saucer that could land right. in your backyard and scoop you up. I'm not necessarily connecting the dots that that deep, but uh, do do I do I think that the with. planet has been visited by not just like bacteria that rode on some kind of comet that hit the Earth? I'm not talking about that has been visited by intelligent life that came, visited, observed, and left. I take that possibility seriously. I'll put it that way. Do you believe that uh, the Illuminati that really runs this world with the Rothschild family in the in the uh, European banks, that they're possibly uh, reptilian as well, or are we not going that far? No, I read books, BC. Sorry, I can't, I can't go that far with you, my friend. But, you know. I read books on the way to the Cannibal Corpse concert. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you, Corpse That, that is quite literally true. Pillar to your society. Uh, all right, BC. This is where you take over the show. We have a little bit of fun. Take it away, good sir. All right. You know what we do? Animation, please, Jay. There we go. We scour the globe for the good, the bad, the high, the low, the in-between in combat sports. I do want to shout out something quick. Look. I find all these every week. I produce this segment. Shout out to Gaff for taking my, my shit and, 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 and organizing it behind the scenes. But I have now an army of people, Luke, not just the people that send me inappropriate stuff, but people like at the Drunken Swan on Instagram who just make it their week-long journey to arm me with the goods for this. I pick and choose, Luke, right? I, I pick the good apples from the bad, but I, I, I'm, I have people, okay? I'm building right. an army. Shout out to all of them. Let's do it. Uh, hold on, give me a second here. I know we're live again, but it's not like it's the first screw up we've had on this show this I time. I mean, this show has been a semi good, semi train wreck. Uh, uh, mostly a train wreck. All right, here we go, Luke. We're going to start in one championship. Check out this front kick from hell. If you can roll the footage here, Luke. Um, first of all, is that guy wearing Oof. a diaper who, who's got hit right there? But second of all, wow, Oof. Luke. That's pretty that's good. Not, that's not a crane kick. That's not Silva against, uh, uh, you know what I'm talking about, against uh, Vitor. Oh, he skipped, he skipped into it. Bam. Yeah, that's like a leaping front kick to the face. That's some good stuff right there, Luke. I know you it's like not, that. It's a nice way to start the program. All right, let's go to glory kickboxing. Luke, you may have seen this. You may be woke to this. I've never seen this brawl that broke out here from this cheap shot in glory kickboxing. Let's check it out. First of all, protect yourself at all times, all right? First of all. But watch the corner of that busted-up gentleman right there react to this. Luke, we got a melee. Look at this. This ain't Mayweather Judah. This is the real thing. Oh, my God, Luke. Bro. Oh, there's Big Mike from Mike's Gym. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, that's big. That's, that's Mike from Mike's Gym. Uh, is that Myrtle Grunhart? Who is that? I don't know, but you can't turn your back like that. I mean, the ref can't get there in time. Look at his face. Look at—I mean, he got effed up. Dude, from that's that like that's some that's some Mayweather uh, Victor Ortiz shit. Right it there. is, it is. But look at the look at the boys coming. It's like UFC two twenty nine. Oh, Habib off the top rope with the drop kick on Dylan Dennis. There we go. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's some that's some brute. See that ish. All right, let's go to uh, UFC Jacksonville over the weekend. Check out this nerd. I know you saw this, Nate Landwehr. Um, issued the damage to Darren the Damage Elkins by uh, making his face fall apart. But, Luke, this, like, 
Roy Jones, one arm behind the back BS. Uh, the train here talking, yelling Dana's name in an empty arena. Can somebody, this is where it's like, can somebody pull out a rifle? Can we get this guy out of there? I mean, like, Luke, I get if you're young Conor McGregor and you're on the scene and you just knocked out Dylan Brandau and you want to sh- do a whiskey shot with the Fertitas and you want to have that boldness. Who the hell is Nate the train landwehr to be doing this to an institution like Darren Elkins? Well, here's what I'll say about this. Uh, listen, man, he was feeling it. He was feeling it. I'm not mad at him for feeling it. And he won the fight and God bless him. On that level, I got no problem. But if you're going to do the Roy Jones thing like that, you can't stand at kickboxing range, <laughs> right? You got to do it. With, like, you got to be able to get hit. And, and you should probably finish the dude, which, granted, Darren Elkins is hard to finish. I'm just saying, I'm not mad at the swag he was feeling in the moment, BC. Okay. But I'm mad he at the got, swag got in a, the second fight. Look, the a, second got a, fight of the night against got, the guy who takes damage. I know, but he got a little too far out in front of his skis on that one. That's what I'll say. All right, before you roll the next one, don't go to the next one yet, but did you see the post-fight interview? I don't have the footage, but did you hear his voice, Luke? Now, look, I love me some Middle America, right? I love me some uh, Hick Diaz. I love me Bryce Mitchell, but did you hear the uh, the twang on the no, train right here? No. Oh, the guy is, uh, that's Deep South. All right, before we roll this next one, okay? Luke, I try not to put, like, completely mainstream videos on here, the stuff that, like, your mom sent you or, or Robin Black or Barstool or whatever has already put out there 25 times. But this next clip had, was sent to me at least 150 times in the past week. It was a record for have you seen this shit. I know you've seen it. You posted it yourself. Here's star of the fly, Jeff Goldblum, during a Richmond street fight. We got to watch part one here, Luke. I know you love this one, okay? I, I follow the neighbor on Twitter Apparently, the shirtless guy mouthed off to him and made an inappropriate comment about Bro, women. St- stance switch, bah, hit him. So suddenly, Take Jeff that. Goldblum turns into uh, Eat, turns it, into it, Kung it, Lee here, Luke. My, oh, and listen, I was gonna I was gonna fuck you up. Take that one, uh. Yo, Ian Malcolm from the Jurassic Park is the shit, bro. He will fuck your world up. <laughs> he broke a rib there. I mean, he kicked the guy's ass, but most people did not go down the timeline of the neighbor kid who posted it. Have you seen part two, Luke? Ten minutes later, they went at it again. Did you see it? Yeah, they got the, they got the, they got the sticks out, but my man switched stances here. Look at this. And here's the rematch. Shirtless Shoot, man just, yeah, just keep shooting it through a pane of glass there on your <laughs> Samsung S3, <laughs> fuck face. Oh, this but, is alternate angle. Is this not the rematch? There we go. No, no this, this is, the is I gave the wrong. Because the rematch, the rematch, they start stripping down with the weapons. Yeah, oh, I wow. thought I gave him the rematch. Anyway, there is a part two in which uh, the guy, the shirtless guy, comes out with a stick, right? And he starts. Well, uh, but this is this is the king of. You're not going to get this joke. But shouts everyone uh, to Richmond. This is the king of Shaco Bottom right here, boys. Uh, Luke, aren't you trying to portray that your sister lives on that street? No, no. This is the fan, which is actually a nice area. They're just on a side street here. It doesn't look that great. Um, but, uh, the fans, the Richmond's a great dude. Richmond is a great party town. It's great. I love Richmond. All right. All right. Get the part two, get the part two with the weapons. Yeah. We don't have, do we not have that? Jay, can you speak to me through my ear? Jay, did I not give you the, I think I gave you the wrong one. No, I did. I did. Jay. I did. Anyway, if anyone wants to find out at fallen Leo is the neighbor who filmed this, you can find it. Jay, I did send it to you. I got it right here. If you check that that original text thread, you probably can't get it up there. But uh, bro, and by the way, my man is my man is my man has no business being shirtless and has you are not going to fat shame this redneck into putting on a shirt, no, ladies no. and gentlemen. I mean, 
it does tell you something, Luke. Back in the day, whether it was a schoolyard, a bar, you could size up a guy by looking at him and go, okay, what's the worst that can happen to me? I mean, I can get knocked out. I can get punched. But then when, you know, MMA became prevalent, you never know who's hiding these skills, Luke. Yeah. You never know who can hoist Gracie you, or you never know that this dirt hole Jeff Goldblum can turn into a, a, a licensed killer. Well, you know what? When he switched stances right there, bow. Oh, God. That's what he was like. Yo, take this. This is what you get for making Velociraptors. Fucker. Yeah, yeah. All right. We're not going to get the second part, but uh, find it on Twitter. There's shout out to Fallen Leo. By the way, Fallen Leo, I did research him a little bit. Luke, he he fronts a uh, band that would be right up your angle. All right. A lot of screaming and, and Satan and death and stuff. So shout out to that. All Sweet. right. Hey, let's let's go to a, uh, a hoops game here. Uh, you got to protect yourself at all times. Where do you establish that in glory? Even if you're sitting on the top row, Luke, check that out. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Kill Whitey, Luke. Check this out. <laughs> Oh, that is awesome. That's great. That is great. I don't, even, I don't even understand what he's trying to do there. That's the thing. It looks premeditated. It looks like, I mean, like, you, you got to save that over your head. What is he doing? I've seen it where they jump out and then they grab it and they throw it behind themselves. I've seen yeah. that. I've never seen it where they, like, they did a volleyball spike onto like unsuspecting poor white girls. <laughs> Tag, you're it. That looks like D3 college hoops, right? Yeah, there's too many whites on the court. Is that is that Brian Daly at point guard over there? Will he be starting? All right. All right. All right. Let's move on here to uh, you know I love me some gender reveal fails, Luke. Check out this gender reveal attempt. Here's the pitch. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bit uh, outside. It's like uh, a it's like a slow motion, you know. Uh, well, if if you're the dad here, what you're gonna show plate discipline now? You're gonna you're gonna good eye, good eye, pop. You know, I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah, he's like, you know, he's like, that's way outside the strike zone. Fuck face, I'm not swinging at this. You know, it was his his girlfriend who threw or his wife who who threw that too. And he's like, oh come on, honey, I told you, right, right, high and inside, we're chest high. Come on, no. Also, uh, shouts to the person there who caught that with their face, not even have their hands up. Why are you in the catcher's position if your hands are on the ground? Well, I could make a joke about that, but here we let's roll yeah. on here. Uh, let's go to uh, amateur wrestling here, Luke. Uh, here's oh, by the way, technique. congratulations. It's a boy. There you go. There you go. There you go. Here's a technique uh, that we don't see often, Luke. I think it's called an oil change. This yes, is great. oil check. It's called the oil check. He's, you're, you're supposed to be grabbing the tailbone is what you're supposed oh. to be doing. But they will just It looks like the sequel to Above the Rim, Luke, you know? Boy, this was me last night in the bed scratching my rear end because it was so itchy. Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to McDojo Life. I've been uh, DMing that dude. I love those. those oh, he DM me too. He was like, "Thanks for all the stuff." I'm like, "Dude, you're the one making our lives better." What are we talking Look, about the Mount Rushmore of Have you seen this shit? Providers are our McDojo Life, uh, Hoagie Farts, Ho Hoagie Farts, uh, Nut Shots. Yeah, those C are our CTE Society. CTE Society. Yeah. All right. Hey, Luke. Here's the best one of the week. I've never seen this before. Uh, let's go to a Yankees Red Sox game. JD Martinez is your uh, Red Sox right fielder on this ground rule double. Uh, he's look at him. He's going to try to grab grab two. Oh, I think he did. Look, you're going to have to see the slow mo here. Well, I didn't see uh, anything, he needed. Yeah. He needed to brace himself, Luke. Okay. Nice shot. Who's the batter there? Nice shot down I'm the not line. Sure. All right, let's see. Right by Pesky's pole there, and look at JD just just uh, more than a mouthful. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> 
That was like that was like Rampage when he was in being interviewed by Karen Bryant. Just you know, yes, no that, respect. That's assault, brother. Yeah, that is no that is great. I think his hand got lost in there, Luke. That was great. Yeah, you know, you wanted front row. Isn't that what Gallagher used to say? You know, you wanted Listen, front row, Luke. You came to a show where a guy smashed watermelons. Don't be upset. Don't be upset when they smash watermelons. Jay, you said something. Jay, share it with the people. All right. Jay, all right, great show. Glaber Torres, I'm sorry, I stopped Fuck watching up. baseball a few years ago. It's for old guys, old white guys. Sorry. Um, all right, let's go on. Let's go on, Luke. <laughs> uh, you you gotta love you some drunken girls, right? They they congregate in the bathroom at selfie time. Oh, we're so drunk, we're so drunk. And then and then the then the then the big one comes in, Luke. Oh. She wants to. Oh no, no, that's not fair. That's not nice, Luke. That's I mean, that's I mean, it is. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, only the strong survive. It is very Darwin of this, but, uh, you know, yeah. God, there's wow. so many jokes I can get, I make that would get me fired right now. Uh, well, yeah, okay. Maybe we should roll on then, Luke. I did enjoy that, though. Um, you know what I've been, uh, my guilty pleasure this, uh, pandemic has that's been. That's the, the one, there's the one I'll make. That's the woman, that's hilarious. That's the woman that, uh, Rob Schneider was referencing when it was like, holy shit, it's Bigfoot from, uh. Yeah. Deuce Bigelow, yes. Mill Jiggler. There you go. I'm with you. I can't go any further. I'll get fired. Uh, check out this great graffiti work, Luke. Uh, nice Wendy's uh, uh, billboard. When was uh, the last time you had a Wendy's Frosty? Uh, so I haven't had a Frosty, but I crushed $11 the other day for lunch at Wendy's, and my wife got very upset at me. Very, wow. Very upset. I've not had a Frosty, and I can't remember the last time I had one. Yeah. Is that a, is that a chocolate Frosty right there? Seem, is, there is there any other kind? Yeah. No, yeah, there's there's vanilla, Luke. Okay, I don't is there? Serve it out of out of Wendy's. Uh, all right, we got one more for you, Luke. Um, you know, everyone always says this this show is all only dongs and stuff. They want art. You want art? Let's go to the Museum of Modern Art here to getting this uh, structure together. Um, wow, this movement is really going, Luke. Even the Museum of Modern Art going tip on tip. Uh, I like it. I like it. I, I guess you know, are we art? Is art art, Luke? I was wondering where this one was headed. I thought this was going to be the bottom of like a long shaft of penis, but it's just tip to tip. You know what? This was artfully done, BC. I have thank to you. say. Thankfully. Thank, thank you so much. Have you seen this ish? I know you have. There it is. Another week in the books, Luke. Okay. Oh, oh here we go. The- our, our producers have told us they have, they have queued up part two of the Jeff Goldblum fight. So this is this is shirtless, man, getting some, some payback, getting the receipts. Dude, until... So- until- until Jeff Goldblum took the stick from him. See, see, I actually feel like this is a good a good switch because Ian Malcolm gets the weapon and the guy with no shirt now gets a shirt. You see that? That's, that's a that is actually a, a you know, yeah. That's how society. Um, yeah. That's that's how the the circle of life. You know, really. So postscript on this: uh, shirtless guy suffered a broken rib, and Jeff Goldblum broke his arm during this exchange right here. I don't I don't know if I can see it, Luke. Can you? How? There was a arm break. Maybe that. Maybe it was oh, the first he gets hit stick or strike. something. I think we need to get Fallen Leo on the show to break it down. But apparently, it's it. Uh, he also has a video of Jeff Goldblum smoking a cigarette afterwards, just like reveling in it. You know. Oh, he. Lo- this is the greatest day of his life. Are you kidding? Kick well, that he didn't dude want any. His face is covered, though. He didn't want any media coverage, probably because he knew he'd get arrested, Luke. But right. this provided the world with theater this week. I mean, this was great. I loved everything about this. One of the better, you know. One of the better, 
I don't know what we call redneck fights. It's not yeah. exactly two rednecks. Richmond has its own share of like weird people, but definitely the dude on there is uh, definitely Mister Shirtless. There is a guy who's been to a Stuckies or three. You know what I'm saying? You've been to a yeah, Stuckies. Yeah, well, well, who hasn't, Luke? I, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Sheets in Pennsylvania. I know our guy Manich is going to jump in with Wawa. I mean, that's fine. You know, it's great. It's great. I'm not going to be smirking. I like I like a good schmuffin now and again. Yeah, I love sheets because yeah, you know it's exact how that how that game ends is in the title, Luke. You know what I mean? Um, I did want to say, uh, Fallen Leo had the guy who filmed those fights in Richmond said those two guys live in like the same apartment that you can rent rooms <laughs> in that apartment. So it sounds pretty shady, Luke. But uh, so, so apparently they live, there there, there they is going a, to be a, a rematch. They live in a group home. Sweet. I don't know if it's a group home. Is that what they? Is that? What they okay yeah well it's possible. Uh, it's possible. In, in any event, in any event, BC, good job with that. It is time now for our odds and ends. BC, what do you got for our odds and ends? Well, you know, we talked about the influence that Dana White and company had. If they could pull this off and come back, eight crazy nights, three fight cards. Who would be next? How about Eddie Hearn of Matchroom Sport? He's not fooling around now. We know he's a rich bloke, right? He's the son of famous fight promoter barry hearn and snoo- snooker promoter you know they're big on snooker out there in the uk what is snooker luke i'm not even sure it's some bar game yeah snooker I, I just met her um but here's the deal about this eddie wants to put the fights on in the backyard of his mansion luke is this cool is this the 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 upscale answer to fight island or is this is this a handful of lame on your behalf what do you think it's what do you got? like it's like if you look at this place it's like painfully stereotypically stuck up english you know so on the one hand you're like it, it just reminds you of that scene from django unchained where leonardo dicaprio is having the slaves fighting in his house with a hammer and you're like wow this is this is really kind of gross but i guess it would depend right i mean who is he gonna have up there is it you know is there a way to do it tastefully strike force at the playboy mansion for a time you'll recall so it's not impossible to do i just saw the mock-up and i was like Jesus, this is the best idea you have to like flaunt your wealth. Uh, <laughs> well, Eddie, look, Eddie's a good-looking bloke. He's six seven. He always wears waistcoats. I mean, he's a, he's very flaunty, right? Right, Luke? Is he that tall? Oh yeah, you don't you don't realize that till you meet the guy in person. And he's got a great story too about his dad took him to the basement to try to make him a man when he was fifteen, and they put on the gloves, and he dropped his dad with a body shot. And that will let his dad know that, you know, he's got it, Luke. He's got it. I can't wait one just day like, for your Just like when to... Jay knocked out Uriah Hall with a spinning back kick. Spinning back kick. I cannot wait to get Uriah Hall on here to, uh, to break that down one day. Uh, will, you, will you now give Jay respect and, and, and admit to the people that it was actually your tech error in the beginning of the show that caused this, Luke? It was not my tech error, motherfucker. I was on this when you were still sleeping in your bed. It was your tech told, error that I had to fix. I've been told by Jay it was your, your problem. Yeah, how was it? Jay how just, was it me when I signed on at ten thirty and everything was fine until Brian signed on? I didn't do anything different. You know what's great about this? People don't know this. I made an offhand joke. I made an offhand joke before the show started about Luke always causing technical issues here. And yeah, uh, it, I, they it, can say whatever they want. I signed on before you, and I did an air check, and everything was fine. I take no blame for it. Now, in terms of my uh odds and ends very quickly on this one dana white was asked after the last show on saturday what's the next plan because originally they were going to have a show on the 23rd which would be next weekend that is off no matter what they say there's going to be a show on the 30th no matter what but here's sort of the kicker on this one which is they want to have it at they they're dying to get going at the apex which you could understand right they put all this money into it and hello 
They can't go to any of the other casinos. It's like the perfect time, except for we know what the situation is. Okay. So what the what apparently he said was if they can't get going at the Apex, it's a 100% certainty they're going to go to Arizona. My hunch is, I don't know about where the rules are in Connecticut, but the D.C. mayor just extended our scenario that we're in until June 8th. I, I suspect Nevada will not, I don't know if they're going to extend it, but I don't think they're going to relinquish what's their, what they're in before the 30th, which I think they're, they're expected to just have it be uh, a part of the uh, end of the month um, a lockdown scenario anyway. So unless they decide to roll that back, which I don't suspect that they will, it seems a virtual guarantee, BC, that the 30th will be the next UFC show in Arizona. And I'd be curious if the Gilbert Melendez versus Tyron Woodley fight is on that card because we haven't really talked about Gilbert that. Burns. Gilbert, Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Burns. What am I sorry? Sorry. Gilbert Burns. What am I saying? Tyron Woodley. That fight is tremendous. That is, I mean, I I'm, I'm, I feel bad for Leon Edwards because that was his real breakout moment if, I, if he was going to be able to get a win over at UFC London. But Gilbert Burns is not far from that position. Not, not, not the same place, but not far. And he's a threat everywhere. He's very good at jiu-jitsu. I think he's going to have a great cardio because he's really competing up a weight class. And we're going to see, like, if Tyron wants to make a last stand in this weight class... You're going to have to do it against Gilbert. I'm very Well, intrigued. it's such a great fight because Gilbert's like the next big player at welterweight if he wins, or Tyron probably gets a title shot off of this. Seriously, if he wins. So it's possible. It's, it's possible, yeah. You know, uh, but look, hey, why I say this before, say it again. Why is Nevada suddenly the bastion of like good taste in terms of like sports commissioning here? We know eventually they're going to open their doors. Why would you, I don't know, why would you let UFC or force UFC to cross the border and go down to Arizona and kind of make it work? We all know it's going to end up at the apex. And again, it's well, safer if it does. Make the UFC biodome over that whole complex, right? The I don't fighters think stay it's at the, the PI. I don't think it's the commission call per se. I think it's the state call, right? I mean, the commission's only going to do what the governor says they're going to do. And if the governor says we're not going to be open, they're just not going to be open. So it's lost freaking Vegas. When has there ever been a sense of, uh, you know, of anything know. In, in moral yeah, decency. or, or yeah, safe. decency. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what they're waiting for. Um, but here's the thing. If they, like, if you do what Florida did with the WWE, it's just a question of like, what kind of press you want. That was like naked political corruption, you know, to give them that carve out. It worked out in UFC's favor, but it was a naked political corruption. But I don't think that the state of Nevada, it looks like they don't want to give any special carve out for UFC, even though UFC could and has, to depending on your viewpoint, demonstrated that they can do this in a reasonable and safe way. So, key, key it question. It looks like Arizona off of it this, is. Luke, will we see? Will we actually see a UFC Fight Island fight, and when? Yes. I'm going to say July. You like that? July? I wonder if there will even be a need for it. I don't know. No, maybe I'm thinking too optimistically in terms of uh, international fly laws, you know, related to COVID kind of loosening and all that. Let me ask this. I don't even know what the situation is. How possible is international travel these days? Is it even doable? Probably not. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably getting ahead of myself just because UFC was able to pull that off. But, um, you know, we will see full arenas by February 1st, 2021. That's another yeah. story, though. But uh, it's going to be interesting in all seriousness when we do have the upkicks of the outbreak, right? When the winter comes and flu season. I mean, it'll be interested to see whether the advancements we have made in fight promotion up to that point, whether it can stay put as is or whether we'll have to go backward again and kind of start all over. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Who knows whether what the vaccine development is? Who knows where testing is in terms of like, you know, we could, we could have testing done in seven minutes, you know? 
in which case there's still a lot you could do. Who knows? Who knows about this whole thing? So we'll have to see. Um, real quickly, we should wrap up on The Last Dance, BC. Uh, episodes 9 and 10 aired last night, and they were two of my favorite. And in honor of that, I texted you some pictures this morning of, uh, of the... Uh, so last night, I think it was episode 9, where they featured a lot of different things, including the story of Steve Kerr. And uh, Steve Kerr's father, Malcolm Kerr, is a is a or was I should say a preeminent scholar of the Middle East, and he was the president of the American University of Beirut. My mother, long before that, I think in the seventies, was an undergrad there. I actually visited AUB, and this is my uh, mug. You can sort of see. I'll pull it back here a little bit. Uh, American University of Beirut. Um, it's a beautiful campus. It's right downtown. It's uh, right on the water. It's I mean around the Mediterranean Sea. It's just one of the more spectacular campuses I've ever seen. A lot of American students when I was there, of course, mostly Lebanese and Arab. Um, tons of stray cats on campus, which was kind of weird. But in any event, I, I've I've long had a well, it's well maintained. Like the campus is beautiful, but I've long had a bit of a. I mean, I don't know Steve Kerr, but I've known of his story and his father because every person who is a, a Beirut emigre sort of knows the story of Malcolm Kerr. And I was glad that it got told. When I say he was a legitimate scholar, I do mean like a legitimate scholar, um, well-respected for the work that he had done. And uh, terrible, terrible tragedy, sort of emblematic of the story of Beirut. Um, for Wasn't you know, your father, in all seriousness, wasn't your father in the same sort of... Uh Trade job description. My, fa- my father was my father was a diplomat, so that's how he actually met was 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 through various stations, and he met in Beirut and my mother in the sixties. So this was long before the civil war had taken over, but um, it was weird. You know, it was an interesting thing to. Re- I, I had forgotten that they were going to tell Steve Kerr's story, and uh, a little slice of my life intersects with that in a different way. So it obviously it touched me in a different way. BC, um, great great finish to it. Like you know. I love the whole, by the way, what has been, this documentary has been so good, obviously, and it's hit at a time where we can really dissect it at, at such an incredible level because there's nothing else to compete with it. But like some of the spinoff content, like I haven't watched the post-fight recap shows, but the interviews with the director, Jason uh, Hare, have been incredible to see just how like hard it was to finish episodes nine and 10 and how they were doing it remotely in their apartments because of the COVID breakout at the studio. Like they, they put off, they pulled off, you know, what, what a lot, what you can really call a masterpiece of a documentary. I mean, it's so well done that I, I don't know if it's possible to recreate the same treatment for a similar, but different topic, whether it's in a different sport or whether it's a different team or player in the NBA, but uh, you know, I mean, you have to have a, a a subject who's willing to talk at that level. You have to have a storyline that had so many dynamics, but it was absolute perfection. The tiny moments we'd never seen before, like uh, Michael and Larry Bird embracing in the hallway after game seven against the Pacers and Burke calling him a bitch. And they had that. I mean, like those type of moments are just absolute gold. You only get those moments, of course, when a camera crew is following somebody for a whole year and has that intimate access. But uh, start to finish, what an incredible uh, journey it took us on and a lot of us had lived that already so to see some of those moments recreated the big takeaway from the last episode was really just how much michael was drained in that that final series and how much you know he carried that on fumes and obviously you heard the comments from um bob costas on the nbc telecast live it was known it was understood that this was sort of the last stand for them and that you know they were hanging on for dear life but i mean has anyone been able to like author and ending the way i know jordan came back later and you know you can 
whether you liked it or not, whatever it did to his legacy, but to author such a perfect ending and walk away. I mean, the guy, the guy's it's a it, the guy's a master. It's a masterpiece. The the career the guy had. Let you know me let me ask you this, BC. I've been I've been wrestling with this idea, which is so there's no NBA season right now, but there would have been. They would have intersected the airing of this and then the NBA season. And there's two different arguments you could make. One argument would be that basketball happening in the ordinary way in which life was around February, because there would have been so much attention around it, would have elevated this uh, uh, documentary series. The other argument is that it got elevated by virtue of its absence because there was such intense focus on something, anything, to grab our attention. The reason why I ask that, BC, is one, which one do you subscribe to? Two, I kind of lean more towards the latter because this has reinvigorated the MJ LeBron debate in a way where LeBron can't answer in real time. He doesn't have AD playing next to him. They don't have this. They're not out there, you know, potentially making an incredible playoff run right now. Because when they when they were playing together, dude, they were a dominant force in the NBA, certainly in the West. So LeBron's literally on the sidelines, the proverbial sidelines. While Jordan is getting all this airtime, I wonder if that has skewed the debate unfairly, given the NBA season being off. What's your sense of things? I don't know if it if it skewed it unfairly. I think it, if anything, it it doubled down on the real answer that while there it is debatable. Yes, I think LeBron has entered to a level. I mean, eight consecutive finals. You know, switching teams, all that. It's entered to a level where he's in that conversation. Whether you ultimately have him as the second or third or even fourth greatest player ever. I mean, I, I subscribe that he's the second. Being, you know, and if you don't know, I, I certainly have a deep uh, NBA back knowledge where where I can give you a respectable opinion. But uh, I think it showed you why he was different from LeBron, and it doubled and tripled down and exposed it in every way. The guy's just an absolute single-minded winner, you know, who was yes was able to elevate others around him to that level. But he's you know he's a different mentality than LeBron, a different player and a different winner. So I think that um, it benefited from the whole setting of being the only game in town. But I still think it would have struck such a deep chord, even with competing against all the other sports, because. It's such an untapped subject. It's it's at the same time, Jordan's career, it's at the same time the most oversaturated subject and yet untapped because we'd so infrequently seen him sit down and actually give deep, honest takes on things that it was a perfect storm in terms of timing, but I think it would have gotten there anyway, Luke. And I think in terms of that debate, how could you, even after watching that, how could you ever debate you know, LeBron's better than him afterwards. Yeah, well, I mean, Nick Wright will certainly give you a run for your money on that idea. I don't, I don't have an opinion... Uh, with information good enough to weigh in. MJ made a bigger imprint in my life given the time in which he made his run, which was my, you know, my teens and, you know, uh, basically my teenage years because I was 98. Uh, in 98, I was 18. So when he made his final stand, I was, you know, the the, the peak of high school. And so that really made the most difference to me. But I, I it's just kind of funny. I've been thinking about this. LeBron's had to be very quiet while MJ has gotten all this brand new shine it has made people like Nick Wright, who I love very much, work overtime to like reframe the debate. <laughs> LeBron's got to be pissed, bro. <laughs> He's got to well, be Well, the super best thing bad. LeBron can do, think about it, the best thing, outside of win more championships, right? The best thing LeBron can do is just stay consistently healthy and be able to be the the one player. Now, look, Kareem has probably the best reputation for being great really old, but if LeBron can like break the all-time scoring record and just be able to keep at such an incredibly high level into his late 30s and even 40, 
and then eventually play along with his son, maybe even, you know, that's the best chance he has at closing that gap. But when you're comparing great versus great, something has to separate. And in the end, winning does. And uh, Jordan's a better winner. I mean, how, you know, you can't argue with, with six and eight years. No, I just had to think arguments like he's a better winner don't mean anything. They I, do. I just think, they do when comparing because I think if you want to, I think if you want to say he was a better competitor and he had a better competitive mindset, especially like well, when that's you what saw, that, that's what it is. That's what being a better okay, well, winner. Then, is. So then say that, but just say he's a better winner. I don't know what that means, but if you want to say like the way in which LeBron collapsed in some of those Heat series, sure, that's something that Jordan was not functionally capable of. I think that part is true. No, really, and that's that was that was probably the best thing that that doc did to show that. It wasn't just a single-minded ruthlessness to want to step on your throat and finish you off. The the other side of that was the the hope and the faith. And I don't mean from a spiritual sense, but from a standpoint of like Jordan always believed that he was going to win and never fed into, you know, the, the pressures or fears or, or anything like that. So right. he didn't have like Pippen's a great player. But Pippen kind of comes off a little bit bad in this larger documentary because he's had some major missteps. You know, the Kukoc moment. He's had moments like that where, you know, LeBron's had a LeBron's teased a few of those. What professionally, Jordan has no like there's no holes. There's no failure. There's no big, you know. I mean, he probably was up all night with a bunch of women and yet still carried them in the flu game the next day. Now, it's funny, CBS Sports tweeted, I don't know how long ago. What's your what's your hot take that you refuse to let die, BC? And the one I went with, unsurprisingly, was I am not automatically offended at PED use in sports. And the reason why I bring that up is next week, I think next week, but I think the next documentary they're going to be showing, two on ESPN, one about Bruce Lee, uh, and then the other one about Lance Armstrong. Level of enthusiasm for either of those. Oh, huge. Huge for both. Huge for both. Right. I, you know, and I'm relatively untapped personally on the re- like the deep details of both life and career I obviously know from a general sporting fan or or you know pop culture fan of who they were and what they contributed but I'm really interested like people who didn't grow up in the 90s watching Jordan to really be able to dig in deep on all those uh, little moments all right fair enough uh with that in mind let's remind everyone a couple of things first of all if you want to try Showtime for free you certainly can go to showtime.com and you can have a 30-day free trial if you like it you can keep it if not you can bounce it is entirely up to you. We leave that in your very capable hands and judgment. We recommend it. By the way, I saw the KD in the water Prince George's County documentary about D.C. basketball over the weekend. That is so good, Brian Campbell, if you've not seen it. I recommend that. And then, of course, why don't you give us all a little bit of a follow here. Brian's got social media. I've got social media. Thumbs up on the video. Subscribe to the channel. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that notification bell. Because we're trying to bring you all the extra quarantine content that we can, but we need your help to get to some of the finish lines in terms of, you know, some 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 viewership goals, some subscriber Look, goals. You know what I'm saying? If you if you like Morning Combat, if you've loved some of the things that we've teased and spinned off with, right? Morning Combat classics, rewatching great fights live, coupled pops, drinking, having a good time. Come along, join our party. If you like our Morning Combat Strike Force Classic show where Luke and I hook up with more Ronaldo, Scott Coker and company and relive great fights. Um, we could be doing a lot more of that, but we need you to come along with us and help us get there. And the easiest thing you can do is hit subscribe on YouTube. Please do that. Tell your friends, retweet, spread it around. Um, it's like an STD in a small circle of close friends, Luke. You know, you're willing to share it. Everyone's going to get I had, it. This is just a true story. I had a buddy of mine who kept getting the clap. And his dad was a doctor, and he would just call his dad and get a prescription for 
uh, medications every time he did. And I was like, why don't you just stop getting the clap? He's like, because dad will just write a prescription. I'm like, right, right. Okay, well, you're diseased, uh, quite literally. Right. I, I, I like that story. It was, it was an awful story, but I like that you had the guts to share it, Luke, okay? Because normally I'm the guy who gets painted like that. Luke, you have, we can't, we, I would love to just keep yakking with you, but you probably no. have a few other jobs, right? Yep, I got a few other jobs I got to get to. So want to thank everyone who watched on, let's see, uh, last Wednesday. want to thank everyone who watched on Friday. want to thank everybody who watched today. We really appreciate it. That's Brian Campbell. I'm Luke Thomas. And until next time, for everyone at Showtime and Malka Sports, may all of your gains be loyal.